My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer after quite a break is yes. my husband, Pat Francis. That's Hello. Right. Hello. You're allowed to come back on we, the show. I now. know. We're very sleepy from swimming today. Yeah. Yes, swimming in, in the hottest place in the yeah. universe. The water was Hills, like California. The water was like swimming in a cup of tea. <laughs> So warm. And everybody's sitting like, oh, you're all, you're you're tired from being in your pool. Oh, boo hoo. Yes. Let's not com- complain about our little uh, well, first world compl- problems. I'm not, I didn't and- complain. I just said I'm a, little, I'm a little bit sleepy. I wasn't complaining at all. Well, well, wake up because we've got a fantastic guest. I, I know. We have a rock star guest on this show right now. We have a someone who <laughs> has his. Foot in film and TV. Film, TV, mm-hmm. short story, short story writer Everything. as well. Big shot published guy, and is probably regretting the fact that he wrote me that letter. This is Paul Gio, and is it is it pronounced Gio? It is pronounced Gio. That's that's perfect. And wow. Paul, I mean, I get one of the great things about this podcast is that I do get nice letters from people, and very well written ones, I should add. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm a professional. <laughs> so Paul wrote me this nice letter saying that he liked the podcast, and just a short little note. And as a working writer, he 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 appreciated having a good writing podcast out there so i click on his little link and i go oh my god i have to have this guy on the show so even though he lives in st louis i uh i I begged him to be on the show when he was next in town and fortunately for me he is so thank you very much for writing me paul absolutely you're definitely regretting that one um (laughs) so let me tell you a little bit about paul um Paul's some of his many credits. Um, he has worked on David E. Kelly's series Snoops. He's worked on Felicity. He was a writer and producer on the CBS drama Judging Amy. He has created and produced pilots for TNT, Sony, Pic- um, I was going to say Sony Pictures Television. <laughs> I can't read. For Sony Pictures Television, A&E, and Fox. And he was the supervising producer on the TNT series Leverage. And recently, I wish we had a drum roll. Can you do a drum roll? That's pretty good. Recently made Hollywood headlines with Dean Devlin co-writing a spec feature that sold in a preemptive bid to Skydance and Paramount Pictures for seven figures. Count them, seven. What does that mean? Like, Skydance, what have they done recently? <laughs> well, yeah, right. Yeah, Skydance <laughs> I mean, is... Uh, that sounds like some fly-by-night organization. Might, you might know them as uh, having recently put out little things like G.I. Joe, um, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, World War Z, and Jack Ryan. Mm. Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. Wait. 
Oh, wait, no. And Jack Ryan. And Jack Ryan. Ryan. You're and right. Jack, Two Jacks. Jack, oh, Jack Reacher was Reacher. the successful one. Yes. That's right. I'm, re- I'm sorry. Ryan's I'm, not out yet, I don't Jack know. Jack Ryan is on its way. Jack yeah. Ryan. And they did the last the Mission Reacher. Impossible. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So so it looks good for, for this, don't you think? Pretty good. They're on a roll. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. paid you a lot of money. They really should put this out. They you know? should. Yes. Yes, so, they should. <laughs> so let's, let's start with that. Let's start with that. This this spec, it was and it was written on spec. Yes. Just sold. Big disaster movie, right? End yes. of the world kind of stuff. Huge, epic, giant. Yeah, I mean I mean there's there's sort of a you know, gag order on it right now, but it's uh yeah, it's a giant global disaster epic. It's the kind of thing Dean Devlin's known for and it's big and massive and totally not what I write. Um but uh, it was it was crazy. It all happened so fast. I was Dean was executive producer of Leverage, and last summer uh, we were finishing up season five, and I was I think it was either the, my last day or next to last day in the office. And he called me upstairs to his office. He said, "Hey, come up. I want to I want to pitch you this idea I have for a movie and see what you think." I said, "Okay." So he, you know, I went up there and he pitched me this idea and. Dean being my boss, I said, that's a great idea, Dean. That's, that's fantastic. You should absolutely make that movie. And he said, good. I want you to write it with me. And I said, okay, all right. And so that was literally in July, late July. And then I went off and he, he had the concept and, and he had this amazing opening. And then I went off and kind of found the 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 guts of the story and and outlined it in a three-act structure and gave him you know what do you think of this and he said oh you know what that's that's really good Uh, and change this and do that and i don't like this part and so i went and did another outline and he said this is a movie i see it now this is we have a beginning middle and end and characters and so let's write it and so in october um he flew me out from st louis on on his dime out here to la and we holed up in this crazy weird hotel in hollywood um i won't mention the name but it was really like i was in suddenly a you know robert altman film just just, just doing the bukowski we were just we were in there for two weeks in this hotel yeah and we wrote this movie together like sitting as close as you and i are and just cranked out this this movie and then i went back home and you know we both kind of stepped away from it came back did sort of another draft of it and in November started handing it out to people and you know Dean people at Dean's company and they said you know what yeah this this works and we had a plan of like all right well we'll take our time we'll get it in perfect shape and you know first of 2013 we'll go out with it well then Sandy hit and suddenly you know it has to do with weather and global warming and all that and that was in the zeitgeist and suddenly it was like we should jump on that Mm -hmm. but then we had this whole sort of discussion of ethics and morals of like well wait do we do that there's this tragedy and this huge thing ethics and what yeah (laughs) i guess the thing is i said we had the conversation i didn't say we did and by the time it's purchased and made it'll be Oh yeah, yeah. So it was just you know. So anyway, so what? What's but what's funny is people don't really know it was actually sold in 2012. The end. We we went out with it in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and um, Skydance read it and said we want we love this and we don't want anyone else to read it or have a chance to buy it. So we want to make a preemptive bid and and they did, and it was very generous and so 
that all became official the first of the year and then Dean and I have done a couple of rewrites on it since and now they're just you know going to that next step features so much slower than television you know the machine of television and you know but we're hoping the target the studio has a target date that they wanted they'd like to start shooting in January of 2014 so if that if that goes um, that'd be fantastic. You know? And goes, Dean's directing. More so. trips to LA, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or, or well, more trips to, I think New Orleans and Florida and Brazil and uh, a lot of places. Wow. <laughs> and then, in case people don't know, Dean Devlin is um, Independence Day, the day after 2012. And Godzilla. Godzilla. Um, yeah, huge things. And yeah. his company, Electric Entertainment. Produces Leverage was the only independently produced television show um, on the air that wasn't a reality show during its run. Dean was the studio, mm-hmm. and he financed and produced that show for TNT himself, um, his company. And we watched an episode today, and he was the director. Did he direct a he lot He directed episode? several episodes, yeah. 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 Probably six or eight or ten episodes cool. he directed. So, so was has he collaborated on his screenplays before? or Only with Roland Emmerich. Um, he and Roland, you know, Independence Day and Godzilla and all those things, they they had a, you know, company together and a partnership and The Patriot. Um, and he's written with him, but I was the first person since then. That's, no, no, I was going to ask you sort of, you know, about writing features if it felt different to you. But when it comes to, to leverage, for example, I mean, they're complete stories. Yeah. So it's not like you're, you know, you don't know how to write an ending, right? Right. Did 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 it feel different, or did it just feel like an extension of what you? No, do? it was it was absolutely different. It's it's I sort of equate it with like uh, a sprinter versus a marathoner, and you know you're both running, but it's different muscles and and you know a different pace. And you know everybody talks about television now and like five acts and six acts, and it but it's really still a story is a classic three act structure. It's the beginning, middle, and end. It's set up, conflict, resolution, and Features are just, you know, you don't have to worry about act breaks and, and all that. But what Dean taught me, which was, which was great, is he taught me to think much more cinematically, which in television, I mean, the example, and it's funny, Dean and I actually talked about this very example of in television, you know, there's two guys sitting at a bar and one guy says, you know, my marriage is, is a mess and, and I'm having these feelings about other women and I don't know what to do about it. And the other guy gives him advice and they said in a feature, those same two guys are at the bar not saying anything to each other and a woman walks by and the married guy leans back and looks at her butt and you get the same thing. So so does that give you more freedom or was did you have to sort of restrain yourself from having people talk about stuff? I had to initially teach myself to restrain myself like I overrode a lot and Dean would pull me back and then once I started working those muscles and 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 got it then it was very freeing actually because I've always been somebody even though I'm kind of known as a character person and a dialogue person I've I've always been a fan of the most economic dialogue you can you know and the less you can say and the more you know behavior is more interesting than backstory and so once I started working those muscles, I, it was very freeing and, and made me a better writer. And so is there a, a scene where somebody's looking at, at a woman's There is butt? not. Not, is not in this. Okay. Because no. I love that example that Do you gave. You, really? Yeah. Really? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I have a question because you said you, you guys uh, were in a hotel for two weeks and you, you, wrote, you wrote the whole script in two weeks? No, we wrote about... 80 pages in those two weeks. That's pretty great. Yeah, it was, I mean, and it was literally without exaggerating 
10 hours a day That's what, That was my next question. You, you guys right had there. a... Yeah. And we you, got to you, a point where, I mean, we got a huge chunk of it done, and we also, we felt like we'd hit that wall where it was like now going to be diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. And so I went home and he went back to his life and we kind of took a break and then came back in November for like a week or week and a half and finished that last act and then just kind of went through it again. And then by then our momentum, we were so, the adrenaline was pumping so much mm -hmm. about it because we were really liking it and it was holding together. And we thought, wow, we had, we had a, we had a moment where Early on, the first in October, we'd written about 50 pages, and we were both kind of like, does this suck? <laughs> what? You know? Is, I, have, I, I have no idea. And he said, yeah, you're right. And so, and he went off that one, that night, and I went off and did something. He said, well, let's get together tomorrow late. You know, we were starting at 8 in the morning. He said, let's, let's come in at 10, and let's just read it. Let's just sit down and read it. And so that next morning we did, we had these, I think we had 52 pages and he went off on one side of the hotel room and I went off on the other in this big suite and we both read it and we both came back to each other and was like, I think it's good. Do you think it's good? Like, yeah, I actually think it's good. He goes, no, I think it holds together. I think we should keep going. Like, yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> and so we kept going and it's just, it was just a crazy, crazy ride. Do you think that uh, features are your future now? Um, I've always sort of had that target. I mean, I, I love television just because it's the writer's medium and, and you have so much control and it's so much quicker. But features for me not living in Los Angeles um, would be a nice thing. So, and I have, an, I have another spec feature that my, my reps are about to go out with um, in a couple of months and we'll see. You Is know. it the same genre? Mm, it's action. Uh -huh. It's not disaster. It's not, you know, it's much more in the kind of John Woo vein. Because it's, it's funny, like reading your bio or, you know, even a text to me, like this is Why, a really uh, funny guy has, yeah. and yet comedy hasn't been, I mean. It, no, and I don't understand because it's, it's funny. When I first came out of the first, the three specs I had in my back pocket, I wrote a Just Shoot Me, this is going to date me, I wrote a Just Shoot Me, a news radio, and then I wrote an NYPD Blue spec just because I loved that show. I was obsessed with that show. And that was the thing that got all the attention. And my first three jobs, Snoops and Felicity and Level 9, this all were off that NYPD Blue spec. Wow. And I think I, I enjoy comedy and I am sort of a naturally, you know, I always tend to go to the humor. But... I don't know, when, it, when I have to force it. I had a thing in college once. I went to an open mic night for stand-up, and I was horrible. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I thought I was a funny guy. And I, I, when you have to be funny, that is, a, that is a talent and a gift, and I don't have it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, is, it is different, isn't it? I mean, I'm looking at my husband because he's, he's, he's got stand-up background and stuff. Oh, it, I have so much yeah. respect it's for stand-ups. <laughs> I used to have respect for stand-ups. and Did now you married one? I, yeah. <laughs> now you're kind of no, tired of it. I do. I definitely do. It is different. It is because they're sort of like the turn of a phrase on the page, you know? Yeah. And, then, and then there is this particular kind of delivery when you're in front of an audience. And it's a completely different kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and talk about economy, you're sort of figuring out what words to leave off, I think, every time you're... And, you're, and strangers have to like you immediately. That's true. Are you Which, calling Paul unlikable? Is that what you're no, saying? No, no, no. I think he's I aware. Think he is. Of, I think of, he, was, he was only unlikable that one time when he was in college. <laughs> that's right. At that open yeah. 
Right. <laughs> and when I killed that guy. That's well, right. So this goes back to sort of your big break days, right? We talked about the NYPD yeah. blues spec, and you were waiting tables, right? Um, when I was actually, when I got to LA, I was waiting tables before I went to LA. Well, I had a weird stint at Denny's at Sunset and Gower for a while. Um, that was actually my first job in LA. But then by the time I, when I started actually got hired to ride i was working as i had a quite a career as a stand-in oh that's right that's right yeah, you were I, saying I some of the people way from, too from many stand years. up to stand in there you go. Oh, that's, that's as close as i could get that's there you go. good um you were stand-up for charlie sheen willem dafoe bruce willis james spader tommy lee jones who was the nicest person to you charlie sheen really because he shared Charlie, I, I, Charlie and I, I <laughs> shared a little what? A little, you know, a little blow, a little <laughs> couple a, of ladies. stand-in doesn't do blow. He doesn't want to get fired. No, okay. No, no. I'm, I'm the guy that has to take the deposition and go, I didn't see yeah. him do anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, you know what? It's, I mean, he's got a lot of demons, but when, when he's, when he's right, that's one of the, talk about funniest, most generous, like sweet, amazing people. Yeah. I, I, I he breaks my heart because he, when he's. When he's right, he's amazing. But it's just when he's right. <laughs> Got it. So now you, um, those guys do not look similar, and yet you were the stand-in for. Uh, is right. It, is it and more what happened? Body well, type. You know what? It's really interesting that you say that because a lot of most stand-ins, ninety-five percent of stand-ins probably are. They pull them out of the background, the extras, mm-hmm. and they're all people that are aspiring to be actors, and they, you know, and so they get somebody that looks like the guy and stuff. And I never really wanted to act. I wanted to write and direct and, and do the behind-the-camera stuff. So I immediately gravitated towards the camera department. And the reason I was able to work so much as a stand-in and did all these big movies for people that I didn't look anything like mm-hmm. is I befriended the dps and they real they knew that they could rely on me that i i was paying attention to the lights and the things and i knew that if i was turned like this you know the the light was here or if that light had a filter that the other one didn't and they just loved that to have a stand instead of a guy that's just standing there right you know brainless and so i i actually i was hired more by dps and first ad's than i was ever hired by like extras casting or any of that. And it was it was a huge education, you know. And yet, and yet the goal was writing or was it writing and directing? It was, it, it was it was writing but wanting to learn as much as I could about filmmaking and the stand-ins the best kept secret in Hollywood. Anybody who comes out here and wants to be a writer, stand-ins great because on a standard 12-hour day, you're standing in maybe four or five of those hours mm-hmm. and the rest of the time you're on a movie set, you know, with free time and I would just write you know, and I mean, there's other people over at craft service hitting on the, you know, whoever, but I was just sitting there on an Apple box, you know, watching everything going or sitting behind the monitors with the director, listening to them talk about with the writer and talk about the script and what's wrong with it and hearing the actors talk about it. And it was hugely educational. What, what do you think you learned by being there, not only just having the time to write, but by hearing these conversations, what were you learning about writing? I was just, I was learning about story and how the importance of connecting things i think if you looked at my my really early work the the stuff that i wrote on spiral notebooks when i thought i was a writer and stuff it, it was very disjointed and it was like cool scene cool scene cool scene but none of it made sense none of it connected mm-hmm. you know it was from being on set that i learned about the whole beginning middle and end thing and you know you've got to pay this off if you set it up here and 
um, a lot about dialogue, um, just listening to actors talking about, you know, a block of dialogue. And, and you know, the guys that are really good and, and, and women, they can look at a block of dialogue and, and they'll know, you know what, I don't need this line. I don't need this line. If I just say this and this, I'm going to get the same point across and it's going to be sharper and more intense because it's two lines of dialogue instead of eight. That and was going to be my next question was uh, if the actors in a movie uh, are allowed to take some liberties with the written word. Yeah, and I was I was standing in for big enough names that they took liberties, you know, yeah. and and it was great. Like, and is there a conversation about that, or do they just do it? It was it was conversations generally, okay. you know, and and the movies that I was on that the writers were allowed to be there that were there. It was just you know I would. I would be over on my little corner, but I was always watching. And as soon as I saw, you know, any conversation happening with the writer or mm -hmm. the director, you know, I was always like, oh, Paul happens to be standing behind us now, and, <laughs> you know, and I would just listen. And it was, and it, it really helped me. I mean, I, I think I learned more from that than, you know, you'd ever learn from Sid Field or any of that. That's stuff, pretty cool. Any of those people out there who teach us screenwriting. What yeah. a bunch of hacks. So um, <laughs> uh, you also wrote on one of our favorite shows, uh, Pat and I, I think, were we dating or were we, were we married when we used to watch Judging I Amy I think we were shacked up because I can remember watching it in uh, in bed. <laughs> it was a pretty erotic show. <laughs> it was. That <laughs> time Daily, Daily and Richard Daily. Crenna. Definitely. Come definitely. On. It was. And, uh, and um, to the point, I was such a fan that um, Amy Brenneman is one of the moms at, at the school that our kids go to. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I've seen her now for, what, five, six years? Yeah. And I still can't talk to her. <laughs> I'm too shy. I, like, I, can't, I can't even say hello to her. She thinks I'm the snobbiest person And in the she world. just looks like... she. Just looks like a normal person in person yeah, too. She's, she's great. You yeah. should say hi to her. Okay, she, I'll try. I'll, she I was amazing. She, she like that's somebody that was. I mean, that was a her show. I mean, it yeah. was based yeah. on her mom, and she, you know, there were children and stuff, but there was such potential for her to be horrible because she had so much power on that show, yeah. and so and she wasn't. She was so great to work with, and so smart, and really uh, collaborative and she's, she's great. But she's super involved in the school so I can imagine that anything she's passionate about she would yeah. that's how she would I'm be. I'm just dropping Paul's name. That's and all you, I'm going to do. you are not involved in I, the school so not. maybe if you were. You drop I, my name and you'll get the knitted brow of who? <laughs> what? <laughs> so so writing on a show like that um, where it is it is a personal project to somebody like you said it was based on, on her mom who's yeah. a judge. Um, she so and you're trying to sort of develop storylines and work with a true to life character. Um, tell me about the ways that you balance that. You know what we did is, and it was a really great machine. Bar Barbara Hall was the the creator and, and showrunner, and then Hart Hansen came in and, and was sort of a co showrunner. And it was just a really great machine. And what they did is, um, Amy's mom was kept fully in the loop. She got. Every, every outline story document went to her mom and she would give us notes. And, but what was fantastic, I mean, Amy Brenneman had, is a secure enough individual that if we didn't take her mom's notes, that was fine because she trusted the writers and the producers. And, but it was just, it was nice to hear, you know, we, we'd come up with a story, you know, a family court and things, and we'd send it off to her mom and she'd come back and, you know, if she really didn't like something, she'd go, this just doesn't. This, this just wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. But then she would say, if you did it like this, it might happen. And so we could then tweak it, you know, and do that. But, but we had a lot of freedom. The, the writers were really trusted on that show. And it was, it was such a great experience and such a great learning experience. But we had a lot of writers and a lot of different personalities. And what 
Barbara Hall was so amazing with is she, you know, there's a lot of things people go work on shows and you kind of think like the showrunner, it has to be their voice. And there's, you know, the, the Matt Weiners of it all and Aaron Sorkins and Barbara Hall was great because she allowed the writer's own voice to come into the episodes that you wrote. And it was like, it was still the characters and it was still them sounding like they do each week, but just based on sometimes stories or sometimes just the way characters interacted, like you could tell, I could watch that show and I could tell without seeing I, if it was a Barbara Hall script, if it was a Joe Doherty script, you know, if it was a Hard Hansen script, if it was one of mine. They, she really encouraged the writer's voice to come through in the work, which was fantastic and so affirming and mm -hmm. validating as a writer. And it gave you so much confidence to try stuff and be brave instead of being on these shows where you're, you know, you're terrified to write anything because, you know, oh, no, it doesn't sound like him. He's going to go rewrite it, you know. Now, I know, I know. Snoops wasn't around that long, but um, what was it like working with David E. Kelly? Um, if I ever meet him, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I did a, my, my very first hire ever, a freelance um, for that, and Rob Thomas was running the show for David, and um, I, I turned the first episode I wrote for the show, I, I went back and I turned it in, and producers and stuff, and I you turn it in on David Kelly show and you're done, you know, then, then you just wait and you'll see the script later. And, uh, the, one of the producers called me in and said, David loved your script. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, he only rewrote like 90% of it. <laughs> and I thought he was joking. He said, no, I'm dead serious. He said, there's like 10% of your stuff in the script and that's amazing. And wow. he loves it. Um, I never met him. I never saw him. I, you know, I saw his office, which was nice. Um, you could land a plane in it. I've worked for people I've never met. But too. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was uh, magical. It was, it was all the other writers, and it was it was really weird. It was my first job, so I didn't know anything. I was just you know woohoo, and it, it was just a weird show. And and he was sort of this off in this castle kind of thing, and would you know come down, and nobody really knew anything. And everyone just kind of had this attitude of, well, we're getting rewritten anyway. So, uh. you know, and, and Rob Thomas, to his credit, he tried really hard to make that a great show. Um, but I, I think he just got overruled a lot. And it was weird. We, you know, they sweep, sweep. Remember when we used to have sweeps? Um, <laughs> they, the script came in and Gina Gershon and Paul Marshall were licking whipped cream off each other. And it was rather out of context. And we wondered, and it came back, well, it's because it's sweeps week. Oh. Like, oh, okay. Right in And then, cream honestly, scene. like, then February, the next, whatever the next sweeps was came, they were licking whipped cream off each other again. And we thought, oh, it's sweeps week. That's right. <laughs> Silly so, writers. As a, as a tip to writers out there. Exactly. When it's sweeps week. Yes. Although, that's a show that it. got canceled after 13. So, maybe, maybe don't go to the whipped cream route. Now, with leverage, what, what does a supervising producer do in, in terms of everybody else? I mean, there's so many different titles when it comes to writers yeah. on shows. As supervising producer for leverage, what, what were your responsibilities in addition to, to writing? Leverage was, was great because you actually really had those true responsibilities. There's a lot of shows where it's just the title and it just means you're getting more money than you know the producer or whatever writer. But John Rogers uh, and Chris Downey, the showrunners on leverage, were really... Um, very open and, and very um, I'm blanking out on the word right now but um, they gave responsibility to other people um, delegating, thank you 
I'm a writer. Did, did, did we just give that to him? He, said he thanked us for us. I gave him a look. Were you? Yeah? Okay. He right. said delegating. Okay. Yes. And, uh, and so as a supervising producer, I, I, we shot in Portland. And I spent a lot of time every on that show and a lot of shows, which I, I think is great. Uh, the writer of that particular episode will be on set to sort of babysit their episode. And we had that staff had a lot of young writers, a lot of um, either first time writers or, or second year writers. And they would go up on set and sometimes there was issues with the actors or things or, or there just wasn't enough experience. So the writer kind of, you know. I don't know what to do in the situation. And I kind of became the guy that went up to Portland and, and oversaw a lot of the production um, for the episodes. And, you know, then there'd, there'd be other episodes later on. We, we got the last season, especially the, the train that is always far away when you start mm -hmm. and is always right on your butt at the end of the season. It, it came fast. And John and Chris were kind of buried with a lot of stuff with Dean. And um, I supervised a couple of episodes that I didn't write that other writers wrote and I just kind of you know watched over that and and kind of nurtured them and carried them on and then went up to Portland on certain episodes that either were having trouble or particularly we had a writer who was pregnant and had to go have a baby and so I kind of took over for her episode and it's just it was it was much more I had production experience and I'd been on set a lot as a stand-in and just kind of knew that world. And I, there's a language that crews use, you know, that if you, if you haven't been around it or it sometimes can sound like Swahili. And <laughs> I just, I knew how to talk to crews and know how to talk to actors and directors. And so I kind of became that liaison between the writers in LA and the production in Portland. So what'd you say, I mean, for, for writers out there that, are trying to get experience. So being on set, doing production work, that can actually be, sounds like it's it's good experience for writers in general. It's because great. it's all sort of come back to that for you, right? Yeah, and, and you know what I would say, the best advice for that, if you get on a staff, as a staff writer, baby writer, you know, your first year, and, and you go up, you know, where you go on set for production, you can, you can hit a home run by just being deferential and keeping your eyes and ears open. We had a, a writer's assistant named Aaron Garcia, and he got a script. He got a freelance in the last year, mm -hmm. and he's a good writer. And John Rogers, who's, again, another guy who's very secure and not threatened by anyone, said, Aaron, you wrote the episode. You're going up, you know? And they sent him up to babysit the episode. Now they sent another writer, another more experienced writer also. But after three days, that writer came home because Aaron just got it. You know, he went up there and it was like he knew how to sort of be deferential and be respectful and say and let it out there. Guys, I'm new. Whatever you want. I'm here to help you with the actors. And the actors just embraced him as opposed to, you know, if you go up there and you think, well, I'm the writer and these are my words and you got to do it this way. And if you're new they will eat you alive if you have that attitude. I mean, it, it's all there's this weird class system, you know. Mm -hmm. And whether it's right or wrong, it just exists. And even if you are a thousand times smarter than the actors or the director, if you're new and they're not, then you act like they're a thousand times smarter than you. And that will get you so much farther, so much yeah. faster. 
No. That that sort of brings me to the how do you get hired question. You know, this was a question that um, was actually suggested by my assistant Elena, who's sitting on the couch over there. I was like, "Do you have a question?" She's like, "Yeah, how do you get hired on these shows?" Oh my god! So, so in your in your opinion, sorry, putting you on the spot. There you go, just putting it out there. Um, so, um, uh, in your from from what you've watched, are do people get hired on TV shows based on their representation, their specs, who they know, or all of the above? Are you talking about their first job, like yeah. a staff writer's first their job? Their first job, yeah. In my experience, a majority of them have been writer's assistants. Mm. That seems to be the fastest way in, is you get in and you get hired as a writer's assistant on a show, and you, again, be the good soldier. And you don't go and say, here's my spec script, you know, the first week you're there. Right. You're there and you act like you, the greatest job in the world is writer's assistant. And you put a season or two seasons in and they, they trust you. And once they try, because everybody's hitting them off from every, you know, every barista is, has a script in their back pocket. And they want people, and I'm talking when I say they, the, the showrunners, want people that they can trust that, want to do the job they've been hired to do right. and you get a writer's assistant who's good but another rebecca kirsch another writer on leverage she was a writer's assistant for the first two years on that show and she got a freelance and she crushed it and they hired her on staff and she was on staff of the show for the last um two or three years and aaron took her place as the writer's assistant and last season of the show you know he got a, a freelance and it was one of the best episodes of the year and it was because he became so trustworthy in the room and same with Rebecca they were so good as writers assistants and so helpful and so like whatever you guys need I am here for you 24 7 that you want to reward them and so then when you you start reading their stuff and and if they've got chops you're like you know what yeah Let's let's give them a chance. So, what are the uh, what are the qualifications for being a writer's assistant? Right? What do you need to know in order to get that job? That, I really think, putting them on the spot now. Well, I'm, well, I'm, I'm kind of no, curious. It's, it's true. It's very it's it's a very coveted position, and I I think the the qualifications are you you've I think the best writers assistants are writers. You know, and right. and I have a whole thing. I don't buy this whole aspiring writer label. It's like. You know, am I aspiring to drink this water? No, I either drink it or I don't. You're yeah. a writer or you're not a writer. If you write, you're a writer. And the best writer's assistants, I think, are writers because they they understand it. You know, whether they're good at it or not, that's a different thing. But they understand this is what writing is. And um, having that, that attitude and, and having the thing that, you know, the writers often on shows, there's always a weird gap sometimes it's a wall sometimes it's a moat it's you know between the writers and production mm -hmm. and sometimes you know like leverage it works really great and other shows you know they it's jihad and the the writers assistants are the ones who you know you're loyal to the writers and you're loyal to the showrunner and whatever they need you're gonna do and if they want you to stay late you're gonna stay late and you're not gonna complain and if you have tickets to fly home that weekend or something and the showrunner says you know what this weekend I need you at my house to do whatever you don't fly home you know some showrunners now like John Rogers if you said oh I had tickets to he's like go mm -hmm. he's never gonna do that you know other showrunners they're gonna want but you know you can look at you know Mad Men I mean writer's assistant there now has an Emmy um mm -hmm. 
There's <laughs> there's a lot of shows that the writer's assistant, just because they're inside the room, mm-hmm. they're inside the world, you know, they're trusted and they're going to get that crack before somebody with faceless, nameless person from an agent that sends a spec script, even if it's a great spec, you know, because they know this person and they want to reward them for the work they've put in. So when you hear, when you hear like that a new show is, is just been purchased, it's going to start up. How do you, and, and this isn't necessarily for Elaine. Are this you is trying just, to get a job now? What's no, going on I'm here? I'm just curious okay. is, is how you even find out that a show is looking for a writer's assistant or, you know, it's, very tricky. Well, every every it's new show tricky. needs writers assistance, right? And so you you. But is it all? Is it one or is it multiple writers? It depends. Assistant? Like, it it depends. Sometimes, like the showrunner is always going to have a writers assistant, mm-hmm. and sometimes that person is also like on leverage the writers assistant for the whole staff. Right. Other shows, the showrunner has an assistant. The co EP even has an assistant, mm-hmm. and there's a writers assistant in the room. You know, Judging Amy had a writers assistant, but then Barbara and other people had their own assistants as well. Okay. And when I, I think, you know, you, you pay attention to the business and you know when shows get picked up and, and there's going to be a new show on, you find out, okay, what's the studio that is? And, you know, literally you can call the number and say, hi, I need the production office number for, you know, Betrayal or whatever show yeah. it is. And they give it to you and you call that and say, yeah, hi, I want to talk to somebody about writer assistant. I, you know, who do I send my fax my resume to or email my resume to? And people are generally nice, you know, and especially when they're just starting up like that, it's so crazy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you got to be fast yeah. because they, you know, they, they need their writer's assistants right. right away. Right. And, but, but that's it. You just stay on of what new shows. As soon as you hear a show gets picked up, find Re- out. Read the trades. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm read not, deadline. I'm not joking. And no, no, I, I, yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. I want to switch from the biz for a second to, no, I to the process. About the biz. <laughs> okay. so, um, what process of what? The process of, of writing. writing. This is a guy who writes. Okay, he's not an aspiring writer. He writes. Is he's not this thinking writing, about drinking. Is this, this a thing writing he's drinking. Podcast. <laughs> so, what I, 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 you seem to write a lot. You've written. You've written a. Feature. I have no other skills. You've, so you I, know, you're. I mean. You're you're prolific. So, what's it like for you? I was starting to read A Day in the Life of the Writer, but um, I was halfway through, and uh, there was a lot of turning off of alarm clocks and going back to sleep. So, yes. once you have actually stopped turning off the alarm clock, w- let's. W- what's your writing day like? Um, my my life's changed recently, um, so it's kind of different. But for for the last several years, when I when I wasn't on staff, going into the office every day. The biggest thing I think a, a writer needs to be successful is discipline. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to, younger people who, you know, oh, I want to be a writer, I want to be a screenwriter. I think it's because they think, you know, you set your own hours and you can, you know, go to a movie and you can hang out and you can look out the window and, you know, I'm a writer. But you discipline is a huge thing. And I was never a very disciplined individual for a lot of my life and had to become really disciplined for this and it you in my opinion you have to approach it like a job like a bricklayer or an electrician or a, you know a heart surgeon and you get up every day and you go to work and I had a, a specific routine I mean I had I had kids and so I would get up in the morning and go out and work and I, I'm always been a better morning worker than night. I've never been too good at night since I got married and had a family. 
Um, I think I was younger, but so I would get up and go work in the morning, usually out the door by 7.30 or 8. And I would go, I had, I had an office in my, I'm not married anymore, but I, when I was, I had an office in my house, but it never really worked out too great because there were kids in the house and can't say no to your kids. And they, daddy, come fix my thing. And, oh, we're, we're well aware of that. Yeah. 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 So, so I would leave um, and I would go to places, uh, different coffee shops or diners or, or places. And I would work from breakfast through lunch and then I would go home in the afternoon and be home like when my kids got out of school mm-hmm. or whatever and I'd make dinner. I, I was the one who cooked. And that was my routine five days a week. And it was, and I'm talking about that's when I wasn't, you know, working because when you're not on staff or you're not, you know, under contract, you got to keep writing. You, you can't sit around and, and not write, you know. And so I was either writing spec pilots, I was writing short stories, I was, you know, writing features or writing about not writing um you can usually tell when i if, if you follow twitter i i not on twitter that often until you know if i'm writing and struggling with writing suddenly my tweets increase <laughs> <laughs> but wait i have something uh, really fantastic to share yeah, with the world yeah, 140 right. characters so um what about craft um you're you're a dialogue guy you're known for character and dialogue so can you give anybody a, a tip for a trick with dialogue for for let's say that you're in the rewrite mode for dialogue what do you do you know i'm i might be the wrong person to ask that because i i feel pretty strongly that i mean i i think you can you can teach structure and you can teach plot and you can even teach character to a certain standpoint i'm i'm not really i haven't been convinced yet you can teach dialogue i really believe that there's an ear that you have or you don't have and I, I just think I can, I can read dialogue that can be totally two pieces of dialogue that are totally different and they're both just amazing. And, and you can have one that, you know, um, Sean Ryan, you know, take any of his scripts from The Shield and you read that dialogue and it's so authentic and it's so raw and it's so perfect. And then you can also read, you know, Scott Rosenberg's Beautiful Girls, which has some of the most amazing dialogue in it, but it's, it's very written. You know, it's not how, you know, 12-year-old girls talk. But what comes out of Natalie Portman's mouth in that movie is just genius. And there, it's, I just think you have an ear or you don't. And I, I think the people sometimes can really butt their heads against the wall trying to learn dialogue and I think a lot of times when I've run into students when I used to teach or or talk to people at panels and stuff is they almost try too hard they're the they're you know trying to get the the perfect line or the perfect thing instead of just writing it like you're talking to somebody (laughs) dialogue hey Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and it, it just to me that's the thing that I run into the most when I see dialogue that I feel is wooden or doesn't really work is it's you know whether the person has it or not I, I when I start to sort of explore okay why did you write the, why did you pick this dialogue interaction here why does he say this to her and she says this to him and in my experience what I what happens a lot is you the writers doesn't really know they they start well i was trying to say this and i wanted this to happen and because later on in the scene and all that and it's like well 
maybe that's maybe that's why you're just overthinking it and you know i'm a huge fan of subtext because that's how we all really talk to each other Mm -hmm. you know nobody says what it's really on their mind generally. That would be very weird, wouldn't it? If we yeah. just if we just were yeah. like, you know. Yeah, I've seen scripts that Pilar is uh, reading or doing coverage on for people, and she'll just show me a page, and, and you'll see all this dialogue, and it's just like, oh, that's yeah. which, which is basically should be boiled down to a, a line, which is you know what right. I what and I help then, the writers and do. And so many people try to get exposition out and dialogue, because how else do you get it out? But. You know, and there's there's little tricks that have been a thing like, oh, well, you do it when they're angry. If they're yelling, that you can get more exposition out because somebody's angry and said, this is why I'm so mad at you. You know, um, that you know, there's little there. I guess there are tricks like that. Um, but but yeah, it it, it just comes down to, um, again, I think just having that ear of how people really talk. I mean, one of the things the whole spec script, like the spec TV script where you used to, you write a spec of an existing show used to be how the only way you could get a job. And then it was cyclical for a while. It was that, and then it was original pilots and then it kind of went back. And now it's almost, most people all want original because everything, you know, there's so many cable outlets and there's so many opportunities now. Um, and people want to just hear your voice as a writer and, but what I was going to say, the reason I brought that up is because like back with my, in my NYPD blue spec, they talked about this and, and other things I've read, great specs of other existing shows is like, oh my gosh, this sounds exactly like an episode of that show. Well, that, okay, you can mimic then, but does that really show that you're a great writer? Like, can you come up with that? And I've had debates with, with other writers about that. There was, there was one writer I talked to and he just felt like, I will not read a spec of another show because I have no idea if that person can write or not because it's simply showing me that they can mimic. And what I would throw back to that is like, well, I, that's true to a certain extent, but they still made up that dialogue. They didn't take dialogue from the show, right. you know? And and if you're saying, wow, this is such a perfect mimic of that show, well, that show has great dialogue, so this person obviously knows how to write great dialogue. Well, you've got to yeah. be able to capture the voice of the characters and of the show yeah. itself if you... I think that's why people want to read specs. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's it, dialogue to me is it's just the toughest thing and it's also the most important thing, I think. I mean, I think you can have a, a, a script that story-wise may not totally hang together or the plot doesn't really make sense, but if it's got great dialogue, I mean, like I've had showrunners or, or when I was reading stuff for shows, you read stuff and you're like, oh, this plot was kind of all over the map but man there's just amazing dialogue in this Mm -hmm. and that will get you through the door more than a rock solid plot with crappy dialogue because i i've read those and and i've talked to showrunners and john rogers one and and you read something it's like man this was just a bulletproof structure and plot but these characters it was wood coming out of their (laughs) mouth and that person didn't get the meeting you know I happen to have in my hot little hands a uh, an original pilot <laughs> by Paul Guillaume called ID. And um, Paul mistakenly sent this to me this morning. I've now posted on Facebook. I hope you don't mind. No, I haven't oh, yeah. done that. I haven't. Don't worry about it. Um, he sent it to me. It actually sort of cracked me up, just showing that that no matter how successful you are, you, you know, I got the, I got the letter that said, but wait a minute, what if I suck yeah. as a writer? What if you don't like my writing? Here's an, here's right. a sample of my writing just, just to, to sort Why of Why would you want to interview up. me? If, 
This week we have a bad writer. Yeah, I, I, so is I, this I, what I you were reading really... early and you were in, in you you were I was it... I was trying to read it. You kept interrupting me. Well, yeah. I wanted some attention. It's Pat's fault. Yeah. It was so bad she couldn't hold it wouldn't hold her attention. She just <laughs> Oh no, you don't know how annoying I can be. <laughs> oh, I think But you now, is this is this a comedy? No, this is not a comedy. Okay. Um no. this is an original pilot and I want to talk about it in a second, but one thing that I just loved just in reading as much as I could read this morning. She liked was, 10% of it. <laughs> yes. Oh, She's only going to rewrite 90% of it. So That's perfect. She really liked it. After we done floating around the pool, um, I was I was reading just, just the, the beginning of it, and I loved your character descriptions. And I just wanted to read some of them to to on the podcast so people could really hear this. This isn't dialogue. This is introducing a character, which is so important in um, an original pilot or in a feature. So... Ed Nagera, Nagera, right? Yeah. Okay. Ed Nagera, large, sinister, oblivious to everything around him except cake. As he shovels in bite after bite, some of us might notice the blood stains on his hands. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. He's that, just, that describes our eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Some issues at the uh, a, P&P household. That's a little scary right there. But I, loved, blood. but I loved the fact that it's also like, yes, you said large, sinister, oblivious yeah. to everything around him. But you also threw in what's his first action. He's eating cake. He's shoveling it in. And then that little thing of, you know, uh, we might notice the blood stains on his hands. Beautiful. Even uh, as you were reading it, I totally saw that person yeah you know exactly who that person is that's great now we also have Bo Chastain a hardened 50 the Tom Ford suit and Berluti shoes a good effort at masking the savage redneck living just underneath he sits with his wife Tracy 40s she was stunning 10 years ago now a little more weight a little less confidence and don't say anything. don't 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 say that sounds like our family too because I'll just be I can step out, guys, if you need <laughs> microphone not work. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved I love the fact that, you know, some people will just say he's wearing a Tom Ford suit. He's wearing Berluti's right. shoes. But what you're saying is a hardened fifty. And then you say these clothes um, show a good effort at masking the savage redneck living just underneath. Now, how much is an actor gonna love playing yeah. that part and also I think as as a reader you know immediately makes me go okay this guy has this sheen to him but underneath I'm going to read this to get to the yeah. ugly and then underneath it is um is also the description of his wife you know which you know I like the fact that you you added the weight but also took away the confidence Mm-hmm. Again, it gave it some depth. It's really, really beautiful writing. Oh, thank really you. nice. So I hope that. I think that's one of the things that it's. You got to be aware of when you're writing. I mean, you don't want to overthink it like anything, but you got to be aware, especially when you're writing a spec, that it's it's going to be read. It's not going to be made yet. You know, <laughs> it's it's going to be read, and it has to be the the people that have the power that can hire you as a writer or that can get you an agent. They read hundreds of these things and most of them are the same and they'll read five or ten pages and they go to the next one and if you can just be aware when you're writing that you're that you're not reporting the story you're telling a story and you want that 
reader to be entertained. And so, you like, that was a good example. I think you could say, you know, Bo Chastain, 50s, he's wearing a Tom Ford suit and Berluti shoes. He is actually, though, a savage redneck. On a, it's, it just, it's not going to be quite as fun a read. And if you can just take turns of phrases and you can just, you know... I, I, had, I was just talking to a, a, one of my former students who uh, were trying to maybe do a project together. And he, wrote, he had written this thing. He's like, ah, I finished this thing and I'm going to send it out, I think, and see if I can you know, get something from it. And I said, well, did you, did you check it? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you should literally take the time. It's very time consuming. But, and I do this with my own work still to this day, is I go back through it and I just ask at, at every scene, every block of dialogue, every intro like that, is this the best I can do? And, I'll, and, I'll, and it takes forever. <laughs> but you, you just read it line by line. And, and, and this is, I, like, don't ever do this when you're writing. It's only for when you have finished and maybe even finished a second draft. But right before you're going to, you know, put it in the mail or give it to whoever, I just think, ask myself, is this the best I can do in every scene? Is this the best I can do in, in every description of a, you know, new location or, you know, new character? And... A lot of times I will find stuff that like, you know what, if I just say it like this instead of what's been in there for two drafts, it's better. And a lot of times you don't notice that because when you're, when you're just reading it as a whole, you kind of have this 30,000 feet view. And if you, if you break it up into, you know, line by line, scene by scene, dialogue block by dialogue block, you sometimes will see things that you didn't see in the overall picture. That's just for me anyways. And, and I told my student this and he was, you know, he, he tried it and it worked. Now, nice. You also write prose and you've yeah. had short stories published. Yeah. Um, I can't finish that novel. <laughs> and, I have ADD. <laughs> so, Squirrel! So did, no. did any of, I mean, those character descriptions, you know, uh, Novelistic is a, a term we use ne negatively. Right. So I don't know what the right word, the right term would be, but I, I think that the good things that you learn from writing prose are also found in those scene descriptions there. The fact that you're okay about writing something in a yeah. literary way. So do you think that it's helpful to people to try other kinds of writing as well? Do you think it makes them better, better script Absolutely. writers? Absolutely. And I, and I think too, it's, it's, and this is, you know, a bit of a cliche sometimes, but, but I think reading as much as you can and not just read, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, read as many screenplays as you can, the bad ones and the good ones and all this. I, I read prose a lot, and I've probably, you know, as far as learning from things you read, I mean, I've probably learned more from reading, you know, people like Dennis Lehane and, and Michael Connolly and, um, you know, Anne Lamott and, um, you know, Graham Greene, and it's just, I, I could go on. I, I'm a big prose fan, and I, I learned, yeah, I learned stuff like that from prose more than from, you know, reading screenplays. I mean, you can read a good screenplay and they can have something like that. You go, oh, that's really cool. I got to remember that. But there's a, there's a thing about really good prose writers that, you know, James Lee Burke is probably my favorite living writer. And a lot of people don't like it. So they, they call it purple. You know, it's, oh, he's so purple. And he has these, you know, huge paragraphs of description. And yeah, that's going to turn a lot of people off. But again, I go back to like that Scott Rosenberg dialogue thing. It's so... The writing's so beautiful, and I don't want to copy that or emulate that, obviously, for a screenplay. You, you just can't. But it just, 
you absorb that as a writer and you know we're all observers by nature and and we take in things that's why we're writers one of the reasons and i think about you know his stuff or or dennis lehane's stuff or, or things like that when when i'm writing and it just goes back to the thing of is it the best i can do you know and i and i, I think a big thing I, I mentioned it earlier and this is one thing i used to talk to my students about is is there's a huge difference between reporting and telling a story. And, you know, you can just report a story, you know. This guy walks in. He's wearing this suit. His wife is fat. His, you know, whatever. But that's not telling a story, you know, whether if you're sitting around with friends and, you know. I was on, I was on this long bike ride today with a really good buddy of mine who's a writer. Um, he's on Betrayal, a new show. And... I had a story to tell him, and I was like, I got to tell you the story about what happened on Strava and how I met this guy. And he's like, okay. But we were on PCH, and I said, I'm not going to tell you now because it's so good. I, I, you know, I, I, we got to get off and get on the bike trail you know, by the beach so, we, so you can hear them. He's like, okay. <laughs> and I was, you know, it was a good story, but I was as excited to tell it just, you know, because, and I didn't just say, you know, well, so this happened and this happened, this happened. I told him a story. And, uh, you know, it was the writer in me. And, and, of course, he being a writer, and he loved the story. And so it was, you know, it's, it's just that. And, and that's such an important thing in writing, I think. A lot of times, and, and I don't mean to bash, like, the Sid Field type thing or anything, I'm, but I feel like what's happened a lot, and this is one thing that's, that I respect about you, is I, I feel like there's, and I go back to the Sid Field thing, because he basically is telling people, you don't have to be any good at this. If you just follow these steps, then you'll be a screenwriter. And that's BS, you know? I mean, sure, there's bad writers making a living, but don't you want to be good at what you do? Don't you want to be a good writer and, and get better? And, you know, and I just think that so many people, especially they come out here and it's like, oh, screenwriter, I can, I can, you know, I can go write novels and maybe get a three-book deal and get 50000 a year over three years, or I could write a screenplay and sell it for a million dollars. I'm going to go do that. And nobody... I got really sad um, when I was teaching screenwriting at this university in St. Louis because the vast majority of my students, they wanted to be screenwriters because they wanted to make money. Like, mm. Are you nuts? Yeah, really. Do you have any idea what you know <laughs> the unemployment is in the WGA? And... Um, it, it was just crazy, and, and there were very few of them, and, and Josh, this kid I'm working with now, was one of them who, you know, wanted to be a good writer. I want to learn how to write, and that's, I think that's such an important thing, and it's just, um, so many people, they just want to get the screenplay down and, and go hand it to somebody and get paid, and I think that's why a lot of them are working at Starbucks. So... So now, uh, what is going to happen with ID? I, I'm I'm curious oh. about it. Now that I'm in love with the first ten pages and plan to go home and finish it, my opus. Uh, so, so what's going on? You had mentioned some really good things. And um, it's it's been amazing and horrific with ID. I, ID was an, an idea that I originally um, pitched to a producer at Sony, who bought the idea in the room, and the, and the concept was basically, it's about an undercover cop inside a criminal organization. Um, or cable show, but for the whole first season, the audience doesn't know which character is the undercover cop. And who is it? Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> well, it, you it, can it, tell us. Trying to get writer. <laughs> and uh, but that was the concept, and it, they bought it in the room, and producers were very excited, and Sony got very excited, and and this was a, a couple of years ago, and then they started to think, and they started to worry, like 
I wonder if people are going to get this. If we go to the networks, are they going to really understand this? Maybe you should just write it on spec and we'll take the spec script out. It's like, okay. So I wrote ID and everybody loved it and it was great. And it was right at the time where, um, with the exception of Lost, a bunch of serialized stuff had failed. Mm -hmm. Kidnap had failed and, and I forget what else, but there had been like three or four um, broadcast network attempts at serialized stuff and, and failed. And so it would just happen to be, you know, in the cycle where everybody wanted procedural standalone case of the week stuff. And so they basically shelved it. They just said, we can't go anywhere with this. And, you know, at the time, like, well, what about FX? Well, FX has justified, so they're not going to put another undercover cop show on. Okay, well, what about Showtime? Well, Showtime had just was changing regimes at that mm -hmm. time, so that wasn't a good time. And, you know, what about AMC? Well, AMC's developing some weird thing, and so it's too close to that. So it, nothing happened with it. And the WGA has this, this weird little rule that, um, after a certain number of months, if, if you've written a project for a studio and they haven't done anything with it, it hasn't gone to a network or been purchased or anything, you get the rights back. So I got very excited about that and got the rights back this year and went to my reps and was all excited. I got the rights back to ID. Let's go now. Now it's perfect. We've got Netflix and yeah. we've got everybody wants serialized now and all the cable stuff and, you know, Justified's aging and even though it's still brilliant and, you know, let's go out with this. Well, then my, my attorney actually did some investigation and said, well, you've got the rights back, but here's the fine print of that WGA thing. Sony still actually retains some weird little ancillary rights. And so we have to get their permission before we can go out with any. I was like, oh, okay. So they went to the head of Sony television now, knew Suzanne Patmore, and I guess somebody had a conversation with her. I'm hearing all this third hand. And she was like, sure, go with God. You know, we'll just, you know, if you sell it and make the show, we'll just take our cut and it'll be fine. So that was good. So that was then it was like, oh, good news. Okay, here we go. Well, then it became, you know what? Nobody's going to want to do this if Sony's attached in some weird way in the back. They're going to want to control everything themselves. And basically what it boiled down to is nobody wants to take a sh chance on it. And because Sony has this weird connection to it, and it's basically now going to sit until either I make enough money or find money to make it myself, or you know do some kind of Netflix deal, which I think it would be perfect for anyways. Um, that sort of format. I mean, I've, I have three seasons. I have a Bible for the first three seasons of this thing. This is truly my, uh, my opus, and I, I have... 36 episodes in my head that I could write within six months. Um, but nothing's going to happen well, with I think it. cut to, you know, after your big expensive movie comes out and yeah, everybody maybe. is fighting over this we'll thing. Um, I know you were out here taking some meetings and that's why we got yeah. you today. Meanwhile, that's the thing. Meanwhile, it's been a great sample. I mean, I mean, they send my reps send it out to be read by people and generally everyone loves it, um, which is very nice. So, it's opened a lot of doors for me, you know, and I, I just, it's funny. I had a meeting on Friday and I had almost a two hour meeting with this producer and 70% of the meeting was, why are you not making ID? And I told her the whole story. Yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. That's you need to find somebody and go make, and like, well, why don't you How do about it? you? Yeah. How about yeah. you? Yeah. Like, dude, and then it was suddenly like, oh, I, I don't know if I could do it, but, but you should do that. <laughs> do you think, do you think with, with, all this recent success, do you think that you're going to be lured back to L.A., or do you think St. Louis is going to stay your home for a while? Um, 
I'm going to be in St. Louis for a while just because I have I have kids there and uh, and I'm a divorced dad and want to be around them as much as I can because I know when I do work and do have to be out here, you know, I can't really control that. So when I can control it, I want to be there. How old are your kids? 11, 10, and 6. 11, 10, and 6. They could play with our kids they at 12 could. and 8. Yeah. yeah. Bring next time. All right. Next time they bring love them out, out here. here. Yeah. Okay. They, now our youngest likes cake and has blood on her hands. That's right. But other than that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you don't mind She might that, work with my six-year-old pretty well. That'd be a good play date. <laughs> and I hope this Dean Devlin doesn't keep you down. It sounds like he's on your coattails a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming out. We actually held you here a little bit longer. We, oh, we, that's we, fine. We, it's we, over already? It is. It, it is. is. It goes but, quickly. You know, I just wanted to get as much information out of you as possible. And I want to thank you again for writing me and for, for being on the show. Oh, just thank you. It's my pleasure. Um, tell um, everybody out there, if you want to check out Paul Gio's website, right? They yeah. can go to paulgio.com. Is that dot, right? Dot net. Dot net. Paulgio.net. Dot com is an insurance salesman in Ohio who's <laughs> not quite as exciting as I am. <laughs> but he wouldn't give me the domain. I, I wrote him and said, can I have paulgio.com? And he wouldn't give it up. So I was like, all right. So I did dot net. Well. And I get more hits than he does. <laughs> so and what about are. your Twitter handle? Because sometimes I know that you're on there. Uh, Twitter is fizzhog with two Zs and two Gs. <laughs> F-I-Z-Z-H-O-G-G. Fizzhog. And if you, uh, just to spell Paul's name right, it's P-A-U-L-G-U-Y-O-T dot net. Yes. Okay. And I apologize for if anyone goes to Twitter, it's mostly going to be cycling Tour de France tweets right now. So that's... <laughs> Not not much writing tweets, but I'll I'll try. And it all relates back. Yeah, it's a, it's okay. Um, also, remember to go to onthepage.tv. There's some fun stuff that's going to be happening at the studio and online this summer. Um, and I want to thank everybody in New York and in Chicago. It was really fun to hang out with you guys, and uh, and and see you in class. And I wish I had my roster here because a whole mess of people, mm -hmm. especially in New York, listen to the podcast. Um, so and and you know I'm I'm just I'm just blanking. say names Sharon and Bobby and Gary <laughs> you guys we appreciate it. Uh, well, there's Monique and there is Andrew and and oh, you know what guys I'm gonna have my roster on the next show John. I promise you. There's got to be a John. <laughs> be a John. <laughs> just hello to all of you. Thank you very much. And also want to say thanks to some people who donated some money. Jerome Sullivan, thank you so much for your donation of thirty dollars. Um, and Lon Thomas sent $25 and has been sending it quarterly, which is nice. So he's like my nice. favorite person besides, you know, Paul. And then, uh, and, and, you, and you, honey. Well, um, and well. Chuck Barron sent 50 bucks. Thank you, Chuck. And Paul, uh, now he told me I, I mispronounced his name last time. Gio. <laughs> <laughs> Here. How do you say that? I would say it's Fitzsimmons. Fitzsimmons? Or, that's what I thought it was. I would say Fizzhog. It's not Fizzhog. <laughs> that's Hi, actually Paul. me. I just, Paul's out, you know. he's in, out in Ireland. So okay. maybe I just say it with the wrong accent. But Thank you know you, how Paul. bad my Irish accent right. is. So Paul Fitz, Fitzsimmons, maybe Fitzsimons. Uh, thank you so much for your donation of $20. And thank you also for interviewing me in Ireland. Um, so everybody, just, you know, this, this is just, I'm just so... Happy to have you on, Paul. Have uh, have a good rest of your trip. When are you going back to St. Louis? You. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the meetings or anything. Uh, oh, I go yeah. back. Uh, my last meeting's Tuesday afternoon. I'll head out after that. Can you tell us who it's with? My last meeting? Yes. Who's it's it with, with uh, UCP, Universal Cable Productions. 
I'd love to talk about the meetings, but maybe how about Next time. we save we'll, them we'll up? Have a meeting episode. Yes. All right. Because I think there's probably a lot that you could oh, share. I have a lot of opinions about pitching and meetings and all. Oh, yeah. You know I, what you I, just I did? Rant. You just talked yourself into another podcast episode. episode. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So you better just run right now because I'm, right. I'm, I'm going to be stalking you. Um, everybody out there, listen to what Paul said. Write because you want to write, not to make a million dollars. And... Have a good writing week.